Welcome to the first leadership edition of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Stefano Bini. Now, one of the ancient Greek maxims inscribed in the Temple of Apollo, know thyself, was considered by Socrates as the beginning of wisdom. Today, as then, wisdom remains an important attribute of great leaders. So for the next five episodes, we will explore the Enneagram, an occasionally controversial personality assessment tool that can help leaders gain wisdom by, well, knowing themselves. We will hear from Wendy Apple, author, consultant, executive coach, speaker, and all-around amazing person about the Enneagram and why it's a critical tool for leaders at any level of any organization. Enjoy. Well, welcome to the Digital Orthopedics Podcast, and we're incredibly excited to have a special guest, Wendy Apple who is an amazing person I've had a chance to, to, and we'll get into how we know each other in a little bit, to get to meet over the time. And she's completely the queen, if you will, of the Enneagram, understanding very well how to use these personality, should we call them trait understandings, uh, Wendy's? Frameworks. Frameworks in the management of people and leaderships and, and their role in leadership. So Wendy, you and I met back, oh, let's not say when exactly, a while back when <laughs> Kaiser Permanente was in the, in, the, in the thralls of one of the, most, the largest change management efforts ever in healthcare. Would you agree? I would. I would. What was it? About 145,000 people had to adopt this whole new system and rejigger how they coordinated work together and including the patients and uh, members of Kaiser. Now, at that point, you your role was, actually, we, we kind of skipped it. Tell us a little bit of where you are now, but then we'll go back a little bit because you were you already primarily practitioner of Enneagrams or what was the story then? The story then was I was an internal consultant at Kaiser and worked both in the healthcare, you know, in the uh, hospital setting, hospital and clinic setting. And then I was at the national offices doing a lot of change management work for the organization. So, um, but you and I actually met earlier than that when Kaiser was implemented team-based healthcare. And yeah, so we, you know, going from a very different model to how do we coordinate as a team? So that's, uh, we bumped into each other doing that. Now, uh, one of the things we learned at the time was that you can have a great technology, like a great electronic health record, but technology doesn't drive itself. Technology needs to be led. It's, a, it's implementation needs to be led if you plan to uh, be successful. At it. In fact, I've seen research suggesting that 40% of a technology budget should be assigned to the change management side of the technology. Would you agree with that assessment? Yes, at least. Usually it isn't, but it needs to be because you can install a system, but people have to use it. And they can use it to one degree or another. But to really benefit from the installation of the system, realize the benefits to have use it to its full capacity, people need to really adopt the system. And there's all sorts of barriers to that happening. And so working on the human side of change is more critical than the actual technical installation of a, a system. And and the big part of that change management is a communication, correct? It's it's an important to be able to communicate effectively with the people you're trying to convince to change their habits and their ways. Yes and no. Um, mm. It can't be done without communication, but often people conflate communication with change management. Mm. And communication is a part and it's really important. You know, how often, by whom, in what settings, when, where, 
all of that is critical to having an, a successful change. And we have an actual immune system to change. Everybody has an immune system to change. And if communication were the only thing that worked, everybody would have a vaccine right now. <laughs> That's sad, but very likely true. Right. You know, one of the things that I learned in the process of, because one of the things that Kaiser Permanente did very, very well was to invest in their leaders so that they had the tools necessary to be successful in this process. And I was sharing with you earlier off mic that I had to learn surprisingly, that not everybody thought and processed information the same way I do. So that was surprising to me because I thought, oh, this perfect spreadsheet should convince anybody. But in fact, some people just really couldn't care less about the numbers or more interested in the way it felt or their gut feeling. And it was just such an interesting wake-up call to me that maybe, maybe everyone doesn't think the way I do. Is there something to that? Absolutely. We all have our own filters in terms of how we listen. And there's so many automatic patterns that each person has, um, both from a personality type, as well as listening through filters like, I already know this. Mm -hmm. I have nothing to learn here. How is this going to impact me? I'm listening personally. I'm listening through the filter of how does this affect the organization? How does this affect the community? How does this affect healthcare? So we have our automatic filters that we listen through. And the Enneagram, which we're going to get into as a person, it's much bigger than a personality system, but points to a lot of our automatic patterns and other people's automatic patterns. And recognizing, so automatic patterns, not only the way we process information internally, mm -hmm. but also how we project it externally, right? Because we process it and obviously the, the output is what we like. Right. So we have, we have filters for that. But then you're saying that other people may have different filters and may actually not be able to process information the way you, you choose to present it. Is that another way to think it through? Absolutely. Yeah, we have an expression, speak into people's listening. Oh, wow. Great. Yes. Oh, it's almost a way of speaking language they understand in right. some ways, right? Right. So that means that if I understand, if I have a better understanding of the various languages people speak or personality types they represent, I might be able to, rather than simply process information through my own filters, learn how to process information in a way that when filtered third is understandable to them or presented to them in a way they would be amenable to receiving that information? Is that how to think about it a little bit or is that too simplistic? Yeah, I think it's both to be, there's two ways. One is be aware of your own automatic filters and see if you can step, have them set aside for a moment so that you can really be present to whatever, what somebody's saying to you. Right. You know, be aware, like I'm listening to good, look good. Whoops. I'm, I need to actually listen to hear what they're saying. So there's those kinds of automatic filters, knowing what they are, and then being present with somebody so you can actually hear. And then being aware of how to speak into somebody's listening. Like, what are they listening for? How can they best hear this information? Some people are more relational and you want to speak to the person first before you speak to the content, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. There's, and so what, you know, are they somebody who just give me the bottom line and let's go? Or do they want to have you speak to them about um, how's your family doing? Right. You know, how are you as a person? 
first and then get to the, the, the meat of the matter. And that there's no right or wrong. I mean, I was, uh, I remember this one time when I was uh, going through a leadership course and the person on stage said, before you, before you walk into somebody's office, knock, before you knock, then once you knock, ask permission, do they have time? Do you want to come back later? If you need to do something, engage with them as a person, find out if their dog is back from the vet, you should know these things about them, send them to Christmas. And I was sitting there going, this is just not the way I like to be managed. And so the, the, the speaker asked the question, speaker came back to my table and started knocked on. So let's pretend like you're one of my employees. Okay. I'm like, it's just knock, knock. Okay. Do you have a second? I need you to do X, Y, and Z. I need you to do it by Thursday. This is your budget. This is the people you can assign to it. And uh, can you do it by then or do you need more time? And the answer is yes, I can do it by then. And thank you very much. That's all I need. And for me, that was perfect. Of course, the person next to me had her, her legs crossed over, arms crossed over, very, very unhappy with that environment and felt uncomfortable. I was visibly, un- I was visibly uncomfortable. She literally took her aside and said, do you mind if we do something together and started completely differently? Knock, knock. Hey, do you have a minute? Are you sure I can come back? Was the work we did last week a little too stressful? If you have time, I mean, just went on for a little while longer, which to me, of course, was equally as uncomfortable as, as my version was for her. But I thought it was a tremendous lesson in understanding that we're not all the same, really, at the end of the day. That's right. And I know it sounds silly, but I had to learn it in class. <laughs> well, you know what? I think you're in the vast majority rather than the minority. So don't be too hard on yourself there. Most people are absolutely shocked that people think differently than they do and, and, and want a different approach than they do. It's remarkable. We're, we just live inside our own skin. Right. And they're not wrong, right? <laughs> it's just, just different. It's different, right? That's what makes the world go around. I wanted to go back to something where I said that if, you know, if communication were the only thing, you know, everybody would have the vaccination right now. What I think is important to say is that uh, we have an immune system to change. Everybody does. And what the Enneagram really contributes, one of the main contributions is it gets to the beliefs that are undergirding a lot of the way people react and respond to life and other people. If you are holding beliefs that you're not even aware of that drive a whole set of behaviors, you can give me all the information in the world. And all the logic and rationale in the world. And if I hold a belief that's counter to the information you're providing, I'm not going to change. Yeah. This is, this starts to get uncomfortable. Some people, we're going to be spending the next few episodes talking about ourselves and understanding better how we, what makes us tick and what makes us do the things we do. And that sometimes can be challenging to some of us to understand or even to accept. Absolutely. But you know, as we were talking offline, if you're a person who is managing or leading people, and you used to be an individual contributor, like, or maybe you're still doing both. You're both a surgeon and you've got a team of people or an organization that you are trying to lead. What got you to be a good surgeon is not the same skill set necessarily. It's going to get you to be a good leader. And if you don't understand what's making you tick and what's making other people tick, because that stuff's below the waterline. If you think of it and you're, you're in a, a big ship and you're facing down some icebergs, and you can only see the tip, you know, you may take on water inadvertently because you haven't looked at what's going on under the water for yourself and others. You know, it's like, it's, it, we're talking about, you know, on a larger scale level of culture. You know that when you're trying to make a change and you bump into the culture, you'd start taking on water. And the culture is really invisible. And uh, deep <laughs> and strong and powerful. Oh, yeah. On the other hand, culture does come from the top. So where. If you're in a position of leadership, and that is the one place you can actually impact culture the most, I would argue. I would agree. 
I would agree. Culture does come from the top, but it takes a while to change culture because culture is often, um, as I said, it's invisible. It operates at the level of values and beliefs. Again, yeah, right? This is how we do things. This is how we don't do things. This works here. That's all belief stuff. This, things don't work. We tried that. You know. And it's funny you should mention it. Uh, it's going to take us a little bit of down the rabbit hole. Then we'll come back to the Enneagram and Myers-Briggs and this whole class of tools we have available to us. But that same speaker, that same lecturer that called me out and had me do the little example that I just mentioned in front of the whole class also interestingly said that if you're having a conversation with somebody, you're trying to have a discussion or an argument or what have you, the minute that other person expresses a belief, I believe, you cannot win. Or more importantly, she says, you don't want to win because if you do win, you've got an enemy for life. You need to put a chink in the armor and then walk away. Just one situation where maybe just possibly they could argue that your point of view might be right, that one crazy one a million, and that's it. You don't go for the kill, if you will, because once people try to accept their belief system, it gets to be very, very difficult to to accept yours. Would you agree with that? Yes. And this goes back to communication. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to circle right back to your first point about change in communication. We think of communication as me talking or writing and communicating this way. Listening is the most underutilized form of communication. So when you are at the level of belief, getting curious, asking questions, try to surface their beliefs, you know, what's undergirding that, you know, their experience, they're going to be much more interested and open to hearing what you might have to say once they feel really heard. Got it. That makes sense to me. I totally get that. Okay, Wendy, so we've been dancing around this idea of the Enneagram and this incredibly powerful concept that allows us to understand ourselves better so we can lead better, but also understand those around us and what motivates them. And as you point out, what underlines their their thinking, their belief systems, that kind of thing. And we're going to get into a lot of detail over the next few hours together as we listen to the upcoming podcasts. Tell us a bit of where you are now since uh, we've, we've worked together and we've published a book. I want to hear about that. And tell us a bit about where you are now in your, in your career and why you're in a position to give us this information. So I am one of three partners in a small boutique consultancy called the Trilogy Effect. And we kind of came together in 2015, although we'd all worked together before, but formed this business then. Although I've been um, doing executive coaching, consulting, facilitation, team development since the mid-90s. And in about 2012, I published a book on the Enneagram for leaders. I wanted to make it really accessible for the layperson and particularly business leaders to both understand and apply the Enneagram in their organization and for themselves. And uh, I've been studying the Enneagram since 1992. So it was a long burn before I felt like I had enough you know, experience and understanding mm-hmm. and organizational experience to put pen to paper and create this book. And today, a lot of the work that we do is change related, specifically at the level of the individual, the team, and then often scaling to the organization. And it's both, you know, as I said, how I change both. In, and when I say change, it's really about how do and this is the most important thing a leader can do. How do I bring out my best and how do I bring out the best in others? And sometimes that means changing the way that we respond and show up. Right. And show up. 
Yeah, well, we're going to actually get into that quite a bit. So in terms of what we asked you guys to do and just apply was is to help. No, sorry. So what we asked you to do is to let us into your world by sharing with our audience some of the podcasts you guys put out specifically related to sort of the introduction to Enneagram. So we can tell us a little bit about what we're going to be hearing. Right. And just to say the Enneagram has been around for a long time, but it's just come into popular culture in the last, I don't know, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And it really does, it describes nine fundamental archetypes that you see throughout the world. And I've done um, work with clients in Nigeria using the Enneagram in France, in Spain, in Dubai, and of course the United States. So I've been in South Africa. So I've been around different parts of the world. And while there may be a coloring of culture that goes over how one might express their Enneagram type, it is really universal. And of the systems out there, it's probably the most dynamic uh, system because you there's you know one home based type, but there's four other types that you tend to access, or sometimes I say slide to because it's on a symbol. So we slide to one side or the other. We slide along lines to our connecting points, and it's for us to see in ourselves what are the stimuli that that causes us to move around. But it is a very dynamic, robust system that gets at the heart of what makes us tick. Why do we make the choices we make? And what are the fears and desires that motivate our choices? Got it. And if uh, just jump a little bit ahead of the titles of the introductions of these chapters, you seem the team seems to sort of bulk them into three buckets. One is sort of the gut instinct. One is around the heart and the one is around the head and the brain. Mm-hmm. So just quick oversight, just a little bit of a nibble, a little appetizer before we get into those, those sessions as to what we might expect from each of those. Yeah. So there are different, what we call triads, groups of three. So among the nine types, they can be divided in different ways among groups of three. And one of those is what you just talked about, which are the different centers of intelligence, head intelligence, heart intelligence, and belly intelligence. And we tend to have a most trusted center, one that we kind of overutilize to the detriment of the other two centers. So the idea is how do I recognize that that's happening and evoke all three centers so that we're pretty bringing a pretty balanced self to the table, to the party. So it's really understanding how does that show up in me and how does it show up in other people? And oh, I get why, you know, I I start problem solving this way. I get why I'm speaking at the, you know, from this, from the head center, somebody's speaking from the belly center and we're not, we're just kind of cross going cross channel. Yeah, no, exactly. So like if I'm thinking, so the the, the head center are very analytical, very focused on doing things right. Whereas the belly center, I mean, these terms sound a little bit, a little bit new agey. So it's- Well, let let me unpack it for you. All right. So the head center types can be analytical. I mean, it looks different on the different, each of the different types, but Mm -hmm. they, they tend to be planners looking into the future, whether it's planning for what could go wrong innovating, synthesizing, analyzing, and they have very busy, active minds. And they trust their thinking and planning and analyzing and preparing and mm-hmm. or looking at possibilities. It's it's really mind candy. Mm-hmm. It's brain candy. Right. Types. Yeah. <laughs> this is their happy place. And so the heart, how I feel about the world, 
being more personal, you know, sensing into and being attuned to others is not necessarily their strong suit because mm-hmm. they're all up here in their head. Whereas the heart-centered types, they tend to take things more personally and be more personal with other people. They're more attuned to their own feelings and other people's feelings. They can be, you know, so they can be drawn to marketing, great marketeers and and many other professional therapists and designers and human resources and different professions that are very, very people-oriented. Mm-hmm. And I've certainly seen many doctors in that are heart-centered types. And then so that's their happy place, most trusted place to be. And then the belly center types are, you know, have a strong bias for action, trust their gut, impulses, um, very autonomous kind of boundaried people. So they they take action at certain times it may not be purposeful action, but they're very action oriented and as i said really trust their guts so that's very helpful because i think i sort of I think we can all recognize people like that in our lives oh yeah that person if i had to mm-hmm. bucket them they'll be in that bucket or this bucket and so we're going to get into the, the subtypes of those groups those triads and then uh, learn a little bit how to integrate both the individual types not just so we can understand ourselves a bit better so we understand what drives us, why we do what we do in many ways, but also recognizing others so we can learn how to work with them and then what triggers them, but also what drives them, what how to impart information to them. That's sort of how I see the utility. Now, that's obviously a little bit not, not as well stated as you might have done. So I'll give you the last word as to why we should listen to the next uh, several podcasts. Yeah. And the, the podcasts are introductions, so it's not a huge deep dive, but, but it's an introduction to the different centers, the head center and the three types that make up the head center, the three types that make up the heart center, and the three types that make up the belly center. And uh, you might want to listen because you may see yourself and other people that you know and love in those podcasts. And it may help you, you know, understand yourself a little bit better and others and, and make you curious to learn more. So, but this is really, you know, goes back to Plato, know thyself. I mean, as I said, what got you to the leadership position isn't necessarily going to get you any farther. You need to develop skills one needs to develop skills in terms of self-awareness, self-management, what some people call emotional intelligence and social intelligence to really be effective. And this is all about you being effective in your life and in your work and basically to be successful in whatever situation you're in. As I said, as I had prefaced, you would say it much better than I could possibly do, Wendy. That was fantastic. And with that, I want to invite everybody to listen in to the next four episodes of Digital Peace Podcast as we delve into the Enneagram. And then perhaps we'll come back and have a little session with Wendy to talk a little bit about what we learned. Thank you for joining Wendy Apple, author of Inside Out Enneagram, the game-changing guide for leaders, and me, Dr. Stefano Bini, your host for the special edition of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. We hope you enjoy all six episodes focused on the Enneagram as a tool for leading change by knowing yourself. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to share this link or like us on your favorite media channels and tune in for our next series of podcasts.